Here we go. Well, back in the uh, 1970s and 80s, when I used to look like this, um, and when I was first being shaped as a follower of Jesus, one of the authors many of us were reading uh, back in those days was this brilliant thinker by the name of Francis Schaeffer. And it's often the case when you read a lot of books like I do, I can't remember anything specific at this point from anything that he wrote, <laughs> except for one thing. Uh, and it was actually the title of one of his books. It was called, How Shall We Then Live? And that, that title has always stuck with me because to me it was such a powerful question. Schaefer was saying through that title that, that what you believe as a Christian is, of course, important, uh, but it's not enough. Being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus isn't just about believing the right stuff, it's about how we live. Being a follower of Jesus should shape every part of our life. Amen? Amen. Yep. Which is a message, I'm sure, all of us who've been around church for any length of time at all have, have heard. And we know that that's true, right? We know it's a true message. We know that that is what is supposed to happen. But all too often, what I've seen over the years is that trying to live up to that message produces in us either shame or exhaustion or both. <laughs> you know, so some out of frustration just give up and, and others settle for a religion that just makes them feel good. And, and many live with a gnawing sensation of never quite measuring up. Well, today we're going to finish our seven-week sermon series on the book of Joshua called Blessed to be a Blessing. And we are jumping all the way to the last chapter of Joshua. So we are skipping a huge portion of the book which describes the conquest of Canaan and the apportioning of the land to the 12 tribes. Uh, chapter 24 that we're in today describes events that happen many, many years after the opening of the book. Joshua is now an old man. And he's speaking to the people of Israel about how, now that they are in the land, how they are to live as God's people. In other words, how shall we then live? And while I think it would be easy to read this chapter and be taken to that place of either shame or exhaustion, I don't believe that's what either Joshua or the Holy Spirit intends for us. So what are they saying? That's what I want to talk about as we wrap up this series. Are you ready? Okay, let's pray. Holy Spirit, come now and just make your word uh, alive for us. Uh, we uh, ask that you give us ears to hear and hearts to understand and receive. And, and we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to continue to do that work of, of shaping us and forming us and drawing us deeper into the life of God. So uh, we offer you ourselves as we listen now. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is Joshua 24, 1 to 5. Have you enjoyed going through Joshua? Yeah? 
I don't know if enjoy is always the right word with Joshua, but it's a good book. It's a little, it's a tough book. So here we go. Joshua 24, 1 to 5 says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent uh, Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt, with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. And if you keep on reading, uh, Joshua continues telling the story of how God uh, divided the Red Sea and led Israel through the desert and protected them from all of their enemies and brought them into the promised land. A few weeks ago, Rhonda was speaking on Joshua chapter 4, where it tells about the Israelites setting up stones as monuments uh, to remind them of what God had done for them. Well, here again in this last chapter of the book where Joshua is giving the Israelites his final charge and calling them to be faithful to God in the years to come, the way he starts all of that is by telling them their own story so that they remember. It's interesting that Joshua gathers everyone at Shechem to tell the story. Shechem is where Abraham was when God first told him that this is the land uh, that God was promising to give him. The land he was in, the place he was standing was the land that God was going to give him. So the whole story from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Moses and their deliverance from Egypt uh, was to bring them back to this particular place where God had promised Abraham that this was the land with which God would bless them so that Abraham and his descendants could be a blessing to the whole world. And the point of the story that Joshua tells is pretty clear. God is the one who accomplished all of this. God chose Abraham, even though he and his family were idol-worshiping pagans. God led Abraham to this land. God gave Abraham a son and then multiplied his descendants. God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. God brought them back to this land. God is faithful so we can always trust him. That's his message. Living the way Jesus wants us to live begins with remembering that. And one way we remember is by reading God's story in the Bible, letting God speak to us through it, allowing God's story to, to fill our minds and shape our thoughts and convince our hearts that we can always trust God. Amen? And it's also good to remember and tell our own stories. A few years ago, Lisa and I went on a retreat, and, and prior to going, we were given an assignment. We had to uh, write out, each of us write out, an outline of our life story. 
thinking of the major events and the turning points, and in particular, uh, how God was at work, how he had been at work throughout our lives. And then at the retreat, we each shared that story while everyone else listened. Everybody had to do this, not just us. Everyone did it. But we shared the story, everybody else listened, which was a little intimidating. Uh, But both writing out that story and then sharing it was incredibly encouraging because it brought to remembrance all the ways that God had been faithful throughout our lives. And after we shared, then the people who listened would give us feedback and they would point out how they could see God at work in us. It was a really powerful exercise. And, and uh, through, through the process, we came to see how, how God's always at work in everyone's lives because it was clear from everybody as they shared their story. Uh, he's always at work in everyone's life, including our own. And he's been at work in our lives since before we were born. He's always working for our good and He does that even through the most challenging times. So this is an exercise I'd highly recommend you to do sometime, at least the first part where you outline your life story and think about how has God been at work? How has he been faithful to me over the years? I think you'll find it very encouraging to do. Ask him to remind you as you do it, how have you been at work? How have you been faithful to me? Because God is always faithful. He's always loving. We can always trust him. Remembering is the first step to living the way Jesus wants us to live. Read on here. Chapter 24, starting in verse 14, says this. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord God drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. So out of that place of remembering God's faithfulness, we're then called to make a choice. Are we going to serve God and be faithful to him or not? That's the choice Joshua called the Israelites to make that day. And it's important to note, I think, that this was not Joshua asking them if they wanted to be a part of God's family or not. This was not an evangelistic call, you could say. They were already God's family. They had already said yes to God's covenant. This was Joshua asking them to choose 
to actually live out in real life what they already claim to believe. So the second step to living the way Jesus wants us to live is to choose. Now, that's not a one-time thing you do, right? Any more than remembering is a one-time thing. It's something we do every day, probably multiple times a day. Part of what I pray just about every morning is a prayer of surrendering my life to Jesus, uh, choosing to abide in his love and walk by his spirit. Colossians 3 uh, says at the beginning of Colossians 3, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Set your hearts, set your minds. These are choices that we're making to center our lives on Jesus and serve only our one true God, which means not serving idols, right? Not serving other gods, just like it meant for the Israelites. Now, we're not all that likely to serve statues of false gods like the Israelites did, right? Uh, Like they did back in Joshua's day. But there are still plenty of idols that we are tempted to serve, Anything uh, that we think is the key to our life and happiness and fulfillment other than God himself is an idol. Anything, anything we think is the key to our life and fulfillment and happiness other than God himself is an idol. And the thing about idols is that they are very transactional gods. In other words, if you do what the idol wants, the idol will give you what you want. At least that's the theory, right? That's the theory. So if I think money is the key to the good life, then I will devote my life to the pursuit of money. I'll serve the idol of money so that I can get more money. But God is not like that. He's not transactional. You can't get what you want from him by performing the right religious duties. You can't control God that way. But you can trust God because he's faithful. Even after being delivered from Egypt, following God through the desert for 40 years, seeing God provide for them, care for them, defend them, fulfill his promises to them over and over again and then bring them into the promised land, the Israelites were still apparently worshiping other gods. Not instead of God, but alongside of God, in addition to God. Because the idols promised, well, if you serve me, you know, make the right sacrifices to me, I'll make the rain come or I'll guarantee that your sheep are healthy, or I'll guarantee that your wife uh, gets pregnant and the babies are healthy. So I'm going to worship God, of course, but I'll also worship this idol too, just to make sure these things work out the way I want them to. It's just a backup, that's all. I'm not really not worshiping God, it's just a backup. Well, those idols exert a powerful pull on us, don't they? They really do. 
because they seem to offer us control, not to serve them instead of God, but alongside him, in addition to him. And the problem, of course, is that what starts off giving you what you want when you do that ends up enslaving you and filling your life with shame and chaos. That's true whether your idol is a Bronze Age statue or a 21st century career, or sex, or drugs, or money, or religious activity, or whatever it is we depend on other than God himself to make our lives good. So Jesus calls us, just like Joshua called the Israelites, to choose to serve God alone, to choose to depend on God alone. So the second step into the living the way Jesus wants us to live is to choose. Amen? One more passage here, I think. Uh, Joshua 24, 19 to 20 says, but Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. So Joshua gets the Israelites to remember God's faithfulness. You know, he's told the story. He stirred up their faith. And then he puts this great call before them. He said, choose this day whom you will serve. And the Israelites say, yes, yes, we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua says, yeah, well, you're not going to be able to do that. And in fact, you're going to mess it up badly. And when you do, God's not going to forgive you. Instead, he's going to turn on you and consume you. That would be kind of a letdown, don't you think? I mean, what's he doing? I mean, maybe Joshua was just pushing back. You know, maybe he just wanted to make sure that all those Israelites really understood that this wasn't just about saying the right words. This really was a commitment of their whole lives. But I think maybe there was something else going on too. I started out talking about how in our desire to live the way Jesus wants us to live, all too often we can end up either full of shame because we feel like we mess up all the time or we're just exhausted from trying to do everything right. When we do fear that we're not forgiven, right? Even though we might know the truth, we have this fear, oh, maybe what if, I'm, what if I've gone over the line? We do fear that, that God's going to bring bad things into our lives because we haven't measured up. We, we think that when we, I think that when we have those fears or, or when we are experiencing that shame or that exhaustion, it is because we have missed a key part of what living the way Jesus wants us to live is really all about. We miss that it's really all about depending on God, not just depending on God for the things we need or want or even just for the things that we we pray for, but depending on God for his grace even to be able to live the way Jesus wants us to live. See, maybe Joshua was trying to get the Israelites to realize that too. 
to realize that they really couldn't do this on their own. If they tried to serve God with their own strength, they would fail miserably. They needed to depend on God. Grace is usually defined as the unearned, undeserved favor of God. And grace can also be defined as, as the power of God to do what he wants us to do. I think both are true and both are necessary. And I've come to understand grace is, is almost like it's just another name for the Holy Spirit because it's in God's presence that we experience his mercy and forgiveness, right? And, and it's by God's presence that we're empowered to do the things he wants us to do. Well, the Holy Spirit is God's presence to us today. It's through the Holy Spirit that we experience God's presence and receive his grace for our lives. So we're called not to live with shame or exhaustion, but with the grace that comes from depending on the Holy Spirit, who is the presence of God in us and with us. So how shall we then live? We remember God's faithfulness. We choose to serve God alone, and then we commit to absolute dependence on God's presence, God's grace, as we live out our normal everyday lives. When we fall short of what we know God wants us to do, we depend on his mercy and his forgiveness. When we're faced with challenges, we depend on his empowering presence. The way Jesus wants us to live is by depending on God for everything. One of my favorite, all-time, uh, all-time favorite passages in the Scripture is Matthew 11, 28 to 30 in the Message Version. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. See, this is Jesus talking about the kind of life he wants us to live, and it all flows from depending on him. I want to grow in that kind of dependence, don't you? I want all of us to grow in that kind of dependence. And I think one of the best ways to do it is is to grow in our prayer life, where we're just simply talking to God about everything, where we're sharing all of our needs with him, we're being honest with him and vulnerable to him, and sometimes we're just being in his presence in silence and not trying to make anything happen and opening ourselves to whatever it is he wants to do in us. So that's going to be our focus through the season of Lent, which starts this Ash Wednesday, this Wednesday. Um, and it'll be all the way, our, our theme all the way up until Easter. So hope you can join us for that service. And I look forward to seeing how God's going to work in us through this upcoming season. Amen.